Well, good morning to everyone. Hope everyone is awake this morning. A beautiful day that God has created for us to live upon His good earth and to uh, enjoy the life that He has, has given us here. Appreciate the songs that Brother Drew has led us in already this morning, and especially that last one to uh, think about as we, as we deal with the trials and troubles of life, that we have someone to walk with us through that, that we can lean upon Jesus and cast all of our cares upon our great God, our, our Lord and Savior. As you can tell this morning, y'all are going to have to listen to me. Uh, Brother Gavin and, and Elaine are in Mountain View today, and uh, glad that he has the opportunity to uh, preach there. I think he's kind of getting into a little bit of a routine uh, with uh, going up to that congregation at least once a month and having the opportunity to uh, experience the brethren there. And I did a lot of that when I was starting out preaching, just traveling uh, when I was close to Fort Smith, traveling around the western part of Arkansas and into Oklahoma, and then in North Alabama going to lots of different congregations around there in uh, northeast Mississippi and southern Tennessee, and um, just a good experience for me, and so I, I trust that that's going to be the same for him as well. If you look up the word deceived in a modern English dictionary, you will find uh, the following definitions, that the word deceive means to cause to believe what is not true, to mislead, to give a false impression, or the deliberate misrepresentation of the truth. And I think as you think, as I thought about that word deceive for a little while this past week, I think that word, among many other words, really describes the environment in which we live today. Because the world in which we are living is very much a world of deception. There is a lot of illusion. There is a lot of trickery. There is a lot of twisting of truth. All of those kinds of things are very much common everyday tools that the world is trying to use to get us to believe that the message that they are giving to us, the message that they are trying to sell to us is a good message. However, that particular truth is certainly not something that is unique to our time. It's not something that is unique to 21st century American culture because from of old, our world has been under the influence of the master deceiver himself, and that, of course, is Satan. You might remember back all the way to the, almost the beginning of Scripture in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 13, after Adam and Eve have sinned and God uh, comes to them and begins talking to Adam about what, what is this that you have done, and he talks to Eve, and there in verse 13 of Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says, God asking the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She, she realized that she had been tricked. She realized that, that uh, the picture that Satan was trying to paint for her of who God was, of what God had said and what God had not said, that that, that really wasn't true, that that was just an illusion that he was very, uh, a very good salesman, we might say, a very slick salesman. 
And so we have at almost the beginning of Scripture, we are told that Satan is the deceiver and he was very good at deceiving Eve. And then toward the end of Scripture in the Revelation in chapter 12 and verse 9, John says this, that the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. And so almost from the beginning of Scripture to nearly the end of Scripture, we have God telling us the truth that we're living under the influence, our world is, living under the influence of the great deceiver himself, our enemy, Satan. And so what that means for us as those who are trying to live a life that's pleasing to God, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have to be people who are very careful to separate God's fact from Satan's fiction. We must be people who are constantly on the alert for the devil's devices in our life and in our world so that he does not do to us what he did to Eve, what he has done to so many people who have lived in this world so that our enemy does not deceive us. We must take to heart the warning of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, who feared that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, our minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The Apostle Paul was concerned about that with the Corinthian brethren, that, that they were living in a world of deception and that the devil would deceive them just like he deceived Eve and he would draw them away from their relationship with Christ to other things. And so that warning, I believe, remains for us today. And so what we want to do in this session this morning is to think about a warning that Scripture gives us it is the warning, do not be deceived. Uh, if you look up this particular phrase, maybe like you, you're like I am, or you can get, you know, if you have a Bible app on your phone and you can put in a certain phrase and it'll tell you how many times it appears in Scripture. Uh, this particular phrase, do not be deceived or be not deceived, the older uh, King James Version said, appears at least four or five times in the New Testament. Uh, but don't get too concerned. We're not going to look at all of those in this time period. I want us to just focus on two of these warnings from the New Testament about do not be deceived because there's still things that we can easily be deceived about today if we don't have our guard up, if we're not on the alert. So number one, we want to think about do not be deceived about the source of temptation. I'm still trying to get used to looking at the back monitor here, but do not be deceived about the source of temptation. I want us to go to the book of James for just a moment in James chapter 1. As James, of course, is a very practical book, talks to us about daily uh, life and daily living. And he has something to say about this at the very first chapter, James chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. Uh, James says to us here, after he has talked to us about uh, the testing of our faith in the previous uh, section, how that can produce in us endurance, and that endurance can produce in us a maturity so that we are complete in Jesus Christ. He says to us uh, there at verse 12, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished or full grown, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. 
In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. A lot that James has to say there in just a few verses. And I think all of us who have lived for any period of time, we can identify with what James is describing here. You know, when, when we are tempted to sin, and all of us are tempted to sin, even Jesus, as he walked upon this earth, we read in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 that the Spirit of God led him into to the wilderness in order that he might be tempted by the devil. For 40 days he was tempted, and of course he did not give in to that temptation and sin. But all of us deal with temptation in our life. And when we are tempted to sin, what, what oftentimes is our first thought about that, especially not only when we are tempted to sin, but we decide that we're going to give into that temptation and sin against our great God. Sometimes we automatically just start looking for someone to blame, don't we? Maybe we're looking for uh, our spouse that will blame our husband or wife, that you know they are the reason that we gave into this temptation and sin. Maybe those who are children will blame their parents. Maybe those who are children will blame their siblings. We might blame our employer or our employees. We might blame our friends. We might even blame our brethren in Christ. But sometimes that's someone that we want to blame, even if we don't verbalize it. Maybe we're thinking this in our mind. We want to blame God. And we want to say to God, well, God made me this way, and I can't help it that I gave into this temptation and sinned on this occasion. Or we might say, if God is really God, he wouldn't have put me in this situation in the first place. And of course, as we've already looked at this morning from Adam and Eve, that kind of thinking is almost as old as humanity. Back in the book of Genesis in chapter 3 at verse 12, I'm sure you remember very well but just to refresh our minds, in Genesis chapter 3 at verse 12, again, as God is coming first to Adam and asking him about the things that he has done in his situation, it says there at verse 12, The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Really, Adam is trying to shift the blame, isn't he, from himself. He's trying to make himself look a little bit better in God's eyes. God, of course, knew the reality of the situation. But he's not only blaming his wife, he's not only blaming Eve and saying this woman is responsible, she's the one that, that gave me the fruit and I ate of that. But more than that, and more serious even than that, is that he's blaming God. This is the woman that you gave me. And so he's trying to shift the blame to God and say, God, you're responsible for me giving into this temptation and sinning. So to think about even that very early example and to come back to the words of James here, especially as we just read from James chapter 1 and verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. It certainly is true as you read through scripture that God does test us. We read about God testing Abraham and his faith, but God knew who Abraham was. I believe God knew that Abraham's faith was strong enough and deep enough that he would pass those particular tests of his faith. You can read in the book of Deuteronomy that God was testing Israel as they wandered through the wilderness to see what kind of people they were. But that's not the same thing as God tempting them or placing a temptation, an obstacle in front of them, hoping that they would stumble and that they would sin. 
And James says to us here about the source of temptation, don't be deceived. Kind of in the middle of this whole discussion as we read there at verse 16, he says, don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be deceived about where temptation comes from. He wanted those Christians and he wants us today to be very clear that temptation does not come from God because if God tempted us us to sin, God really would not be God, would he? At least he would not be a good God as he is presented to us in scripture. He would be an evil God because he would be wanting our destruction. But temptation, James makes it very clear in these verses, especially as you look at verse 13 or verse uh, 14. Uh, 14 and 15, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Temptation comes first from Satan putting that in our life. It enters into our heart. We lust after whatever that temptation is. We desire that particular thing that is sin. And then we let that lust take up residence in our heart. And then James says the end of that whole process is that we sin And when sin is full grown, when it is accomplished in us, then it brings forth death or separation from our great God. I I think about something that the Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, in in this very comforting, very encouraging epistle uh, about how we can know. Uh, how we can have confidence in our salvation and, and who we are. First John chapter 2 at verse 15, uh, 16, John says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so all temptation and thus all sin, I, I believe, really starts with these three things that he mentions here in this book. The lust of the flesh, things that appeal to our fleshly nature that are opposed to God's will. The lust of the eyes, things that look good to us on the outside. They look appealing. They look attractive. They look like they will bring us some kind of joy, some kind of pleasure in our life. And then all of that goes back to our pride. And I believe you see those three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life with Adam and Eve. You see that with King David. You see that all throughout scripture when people were tempted and they gave into that temptation and sin. In some way or another, it was related to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of pride. And so we need to be alert to that. And yet Satan, our enemy, can deceive us into thinking sometimes that our sins really aren't our fault. (laughs) That someone else is responsible. Someone else is to blame. That maybe, again, as James is talking to us here in our text in James chapter 1, he he may even get us to thinking along these lines that God has put some temptation in our way, that it is just a temptation that is too great for us to bear, that there's no way that we can overcome that particular temptation. But we know passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, after, interestingly enough, the Apostle Paul has has written uh, about Israel and how often they sinned, how often they went astray and rebelled against their God. But after he says all of that, then he gives us this great encouragement in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. He says, No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to... Endure it. Here is the truth about temptation. 
Satan tells us something that maybe has a little bit of truth in it, but it is, at its core, it's deceptive. It is a lie, and he's wanting us to believe that. But here is the truth about temptation, that God is faithful, Paul says. God is faithful to himself. God is faithful to his promise. He's not going to allow us, his children, to be tempted beyond our ability to resist that particular temptation. He is not going to allow us to be tempted, and there is absolutely no way out. That, that there is no way for us to escape that temptation. Now, sometimes, yes, maybe because we enjoy whatever that particular sin is, we're not really looking for the temptation. We, we want to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a little while in our weak moments. But God's not going to allow Satan to put something in our life, a temptation before us that we cannot withstand, that there is no way of escape And because that's who our God is, He, again, as James is telling us in James 1, He is not the source of temptation. Well, going back to our passage in James, just to notice a couple of other things before we move to the second text this morning, I think James goes ahead to affirm that not only is God not the source of temptation, but on the opposite end, God is the source of everything that is good. And we also need to take the warning in verse 16, I think, and apply it both ways to what he has said about the process of temptation and sin in our life and where sin comes from, but also to think about the truth about who God is, that God is a good God. And Satan certainly, I think, has been working overtime in our world, at least in my lifetime, to try to convince people, and not just people out there in the world, but us as God's children, that God really isn't good. You know, I think he was doing the same thing for Eve in in trying to tell her, well, you know, has God said (laughs) this? And and he took some of what God said, some of his words, but then he added a few of his own in there. And, And I think so many people that we are living around today and can also even be ourselves, if we're not careful, we can begin to think God really isn't that good. But God truly is good. He is the definition of good. But more than that, he has always been the source of good and he will always continue to be the source of good and not evil. And James again says that at verse 17, that every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God doesn't change in essence. We can always count on God to be God. And then what he says in verse 18 of this text, it is God's will for us to be a certain kind of people that in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth or he begot us by the word of truth so that we will be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. God's will obviously is for us to believe and obey his word of truth, not to believe and obey Satan's deception so that we can be this kind of people, ultimately so that we can be saved and enjoy eternity with him. So when we are tempted to sin, maybe even when we are tempted to sin repeatedly with the same temptation, let us put the blame where it belongs. (laughs) Let us not put the blame on God. Let us put the blame really on Satan for introducing temptation and sin into our world. Let us put the blame on ourselves, as James is saying. It's really our own desire that when that lust gets inside of us, when we desire something that God says we shouldn't, that we need to blame ourselves, we don't need to blame each other, and we certainly never need to blame God. So, number one, let's not be deceived about the source of temptation. But secondly, 
I want us to go to the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 6, we have another one of these texts that gives us this warning, be not deceived. Galatians chapter 6, and let's begin uh, reading here at verse 6. Uh, Paul writes, For the one, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. You know, I think our, as we think about this second deception that Satan is very good and has been, I think, successful in a lot of ways at deceiving our world and even us as God's people, to think about the sowing-reaping principle that is mentioned here in this text. Our world, and it's not just our time, but I think our world since sin has been in it, but especially our world and especially our American society has totally bought into the buy now, pay later philosophy of life. <laughs> I mean, you can just think about that principle from a financial standpoint. You know, we can buy almost anything we want and we can put it on a credit card. We can, you know, uh, stretch out our payments for years on some particular item and we can enjoy all the pleasure of that, all the happiness that it might bring us, all the satisfaction that we might get from that particular item or thing right now, and we don't have to pay for it all. We can pay for it over time. And I think that is particularly true when we think about our lives, that Satan has been very good at convincing so many people, you can just get on the buy now, pay later plan of life. You can live however you want to right now, because, hey, you've got you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 more years to go. You can take care of all that later with God. But this thinking certainly is not of God. It is of the devil. And it is among, I think, the most prevalent and the most pervasive deceptions that he has ever told. But here we have the truth about the sowing reaping principle given to us in Galatians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul says that God has given us this particular principle. It is, I think, for all time. It is for all people. It is for all circumstances. The principle I have up here on the screen, that whatever we sow is what we are going to reap. That that's just a truth that we can take to the bank. And so if we spend our lives, as Paul talks about in these few verses, living for the flesh, we're going to reap the reward of the flesh, which he makes very clear that is eternal corruption, that is eternal death. Uh, we probably remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. You know, I, I remember uh, as a young preacher uh, having discussions with older preachers about what, what, is, what kind of death is Paul talking about there. It could be physical death. I think it's more talking about spiritual death, that we, that we are separated from God, that that is the eternal consequence of our sin. That is the reward, if you will. That's what sin pays in our life is spiritual death. But on the opposite side, as the Apostle Paul says to us here at verse 8 of Galatians chapter 6, the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. If we spend our days here on earth living according to the Spirit, we're trying to walk by the Spirit. You can go back to the end of chapter 5 where Paul talks in this whole discussion about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And he uses language like being led by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit 
being under the influence of the Spirit of God really in our life than, rather than being in, under the influence of Satan, if we have made the choice to live our life here on earth that way, we're going to reap the reward of the Spirit. And that's what Paul says at the end of verse 8, that is eternal life. We're going to have true life. Uh, to think about that particular point, to go to the book of Romans, I get, got a little bit behind here uh, on the screen with the passages, but Romans chapter 8 I believe Paul has maybe a very similar discussion as to what he's saying here in Galatians chapter 6. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 5, he says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Again, Paul is talking to these brethren about two different ways that we can live our life, two different outcomes eternally. That we can live our lives sowing to the flesh, as he says in Galatians chapter 6, and, and that has its own reward, that has its own result, or we can live our life sowing to the Spirit, and that has its own reward or result. So we have to choose. We have to choose which path we're going to go down in life. We have to choose how we're going to live, and our choice is going to go a long ways in determining our eternal destiny. As we think about those thoughts, going back again to the words of Paul in, in Galatians chapter 6, uh, Paul says that we can't fool God in this whole matter because he says there at verse 7, after giving us the admonition of do not be deceived, he says God is not mocked. <laughs> you know, we, we might be successful in fooling, again, our spouse. We might be successful in fooling our children, our brethren, a lot of people. We might even be successful in fooling ourselves. And James talks about that in James chapter 1 about self-deception when we come to the Word of God. But there is one being that we cannot successfully deceive, and that is God himself. We can't fool God with the way that he lived. He is not mocked because he knows us. He knows our thoughts. He knows our choices. He knows which direction our life is going. And he will reward us accordingly. And so if we have chosen to live by the Spirit, which I think in this context seems specifically to be talking about doing good. If you notice in the verses that we read, 6 through 10, how many times Paul uses the word good. You know, back there at verse 6, the one who has taught the words is share all good things with the one who teaches him. As he mentions there at verse 9, we're not to lose heart or to give up in doing good. And then verse 10, as we have opportunity, we're to do good to all people, especially those who are God's people. And so if we have chosen to live our life that way, specifically, I think, in these, these four verses of sharing our physical, financial blessings with those around us, then Paul encourages us to continue living that way for the rest of our lives. Don't give up. We, we can get weary. We, we can become discouraged. Satan can use that tool against us. But he says, continue to live that way for the rest of our lives. So brothers and sisters, let's not be deceived about this important truth or principle of life, that whatever we sow is what we are going to reap. I think especially when we are, are, are younger in life, 
Uh, if we know the scriptures, we probably know this particular principle. It's in the back of our mind somewhere. <laughs> but being young, you know, we think we, we've got decades to, to sort all of this out. We've got plenty of time to make our life right with God. And yet we don't know, do we? We, we don't know how much time we have. None of us knows that. And if we develop that kind of attitude, that kind of heart early in life, it's going to be a lot more difficult, not impossible, of course, but a lot more difficult for us to change as we get later on in life. And so it can be very easy for us to be deceived about this particular principle to think somehow, you know, I'm going to be the exception to the rule. (laughs) I think Satan is very good at deceiving us in that way and saying, yes, I know what God has said, but that really doesn't apply to you. You're a strong Christian. You can withstand this. You can make different choices than what God has said in his word, and you can sort it all out in the end. But again, that is a lie that our enemy is telling us. And so let's not be deceived about the sowing reaping principle that whatever we sow is exactly what we are going to reap. As we began this morning by saying, you know, Satan was very successful in deceiving Adam and Eve, especially Eve. And he continues to work in our world that way. He continues to deceive our world about these two truths about the source of temptation and the sowing reaping principle and lots of other things. So we have to make the decision and ask ourselves the question, are we going to listen to him? Are we going to listen to the lies of our enemy, the devil, or are we going to listen to God's truth? Are we going to be people like Eve who will be deceived? And in the process of being deceived, if we don't turn from that deception to the truth that we will lose our salvation Or will we be people that allow God's truth, God's word to live in us and to guide us so that we are saved and can enjoy eternal life with him? Whether we realize it or not, we're all choosing one of those two paths right now. We're all choosing to live our life according to God's truth or according to Satan's lie. So think about that choice. Maybe you can look at these other two or three passages uh, sometime this week that talk about do not, being deceived, do not be deceived and it will be of help and a blessing to you. So with those thoughts, we'll uh, be dismissed to our classes at this time.